Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Work Alchemy podcast, conversations about impact, where entrepreneurs and leaders share how they have impact, the sweet moments, and the challenges. I'm your host, Ursula York. I help entrepreneurs grow successful businesses that make a difference in the world. Impact is more than mission, more than purpose, even more than your why. Impact is where your unique self and business meet the world and contribute to making it better for all of us. These stories are here to inspire and energize you so you can have your own unique impact. Today's guest on the podcast is Christy Wallace. Christy is the CEO of Elevate Network and is responsible for executing Elevate Network's mission of changing the culture of business from the inside out by providing professional women with a supportive community to lean on and learn from. Christy is the host of the Elevate podcast, Conversations with Women Changing the Face of Business, and is also a regular speaker and thought leader on leadership, diversity, social entrepreneurship, networking, and entrepreneurialism. Most recently, Christy was recognized as a woman of influence by the New York Business Journal. Welcome to the podcast, Christy. I'm delighted to have you here. Thanks so much for having me, Ursula. This is exciting, and it's great to catch up with you again. Yeah. Well, uh, we met recently at a conference, the Momentum Summit, and uh, it was a gathering of, of B Corps and other companies that are really interested in doing good with their businesses, and Elevate Network is no exception. So can you tell us more about Elevate? And uh, I, I know your mission is around closing the gender achievement gap. Yes, uh, and happy to talk about Elevate. So Elevate is a global community of women at work, and we are committed to supporting women in accomplishing success, however they define that and reaching their dreams. So when we think about the current state, uh, particularly in in the United States, although Elevate is a global organization, women um, are less than 5% of CEOs in the Fortune 500. They represent 20% of boards, 20% of elected officials, um, 17% of senior leadership, and on and on and on. And there's all of these places in which we, we know and data tells us and proves that having more diversity will lead to better results. So when you have more diverse voices and perspectives and opinions in businesses, in the boardroom, in office and beyond, that leads to better innovation, better customer, client, public focus, and to a uh, diversification and disruption of how we do things uh, in business and beyond that can have a positive impact for society and for individuals. Hmm. Well, and Elevate has uh, uh, five values that you you have outlined and are really upfront about um, following. And can you tell us about those and why is that important to you to have the, have a set of values to operate from? Oh, it's incredibly important. Within the Elevate Network, um, for us, it's really around those meaningful connections. We know that it's who you know that connects you to opportunities, to inspiration, to support, to mentorship and beyond that helps you get ahead um, and achieve that success or achieve those goals that you're looking for. And the breaking it down to the connections 
you know, many, many, many years ago, it was, it was more local community based, right? You knew everyone in your town and you supported each other. Now in a digital age and with globalization and global businesses, the uh, connections we make transcend regional borders and they go beyond that. And so when we look at the Elevate community, it's 150,000 women. We're cross industry, we're cross function, we're cross geography, women at all career stages. And for us, it's really about how do we make those meaningful, intentional connections that help women get ahead, that help to um, change those numbers that we talked about earlier. And it comes back to, at the core, the human element of our values, our values of, you know, how are we um, getting stuff done? How are we always having the most respectful interpretation of things because we communicate in different ways? Um, how are we um, really doubling down on diversity and making that a stated focus? Um, you know, how are we really focusing on kindness and generosity and respect? So our values uh, culminate in uh, what we've created, which is a, um, a promise or a, you know, a, a statement that when women join our community, they agree to the sign, which is uphold our values and to put as much into the community and into supporting others as you want to get out of the community to support you. And like, let's, well, being real here, the women in Elevate are, they are career focused and, and they want to succeed and they're, they're very, um, you know, driven and we can see the power in making those connections that are propelling everyone forward. So when we come back to your question about the values, it's the values for the people that work here every day. We use it to guide our decisions, um, to, to guide how we treat each other and our culture. But because we are a community, that transcends into who are the companies we work with, how, who are the women within our community, and how do these values drive, ultimately, which is our mission, uh, to help women succeed in the workplace and beyond. Mm. Well, um, I know that uh, you and I had a bit of a conversation about this before we began around uh, the kind of culture that uh, a workplace needs in order to help women to thrive. And one of those one of those realms is um, well, I mean, there's there's several aspects to that. And and can you speak to that? What are the kinds of things businesses can do to create that kind of environment? Uh, there's a number of things that businesses can do. I mean, it starts with, um, one, it starts with the individual. Because what happens if you, when you're running a business, and particularly when you're running a large business, you're, it, it's easier to create groups of people or group identities. You're like, oh, you know, women and men, how do we support women? Um, but the reality is that that is a broad category and it is not really tying into the intersectionality of who we are as individuals. And you may be a woman, but you may also be a black woman or um, LGBTQAI or transgender or um, a host of other identities. If it's tied to your religion, if it's tied to your background, uh, if it's tied to, you know, where you where you came from. And so I think at the core, it's about businesses really seeing their um, employees as individuals. And how can we create a place 
where everyone can show up as their true self. And that's easy to say, but really hard to do because we've been conditioned (laughs) a lot of who we are at the door before we come into the workplace. So for example, you and I were talking about uh, take your children to work day. And um, that is a really hard uh, thing to do for, for people and for a number of reasons. You know, if you are um, a woman and you work in, in particularly a male-dominated society or uh, business and, and particularly one that, um, you know, has seen motherhood as a penalty, like, oh, you're going to take maternity leave, then, you know, are, are you going to get that promotion or you have to take time out of your day to pump? Is that, you know, hurting our business or you know, you now we're just making the assumption that you're not going to be as present. You know, there's all of these unconscious biases and conscious biases that have created this motherhood penalty that keep women ahead from moving ahead in the workplace. And so what you start to see is women who don't bring that aspect of themselves into the workplace. You don't talk about your kids. You don't bring that up because you don't want to be penalized for it. You don't want to suffer. Beyond that, when you talk about um, you know this aspect of bringing your kids to work day, uh, specifically for women of color, you oftentimes are already alienated because you may be the only person, you know, only woman of color in the room, and then yeah. you talk about being a mother too, and like how do all of those stack against each other? Um, what happens if you bring your kids to work and they act out? They throw temper tantrum. You know, how does that reflect on you professionally? So you know, I bring that up because. I think that there are um, so many nuances of what it's like to show up at the workplace every day that are just, we're not taking the time to really think about and to understand. And we can get into that a little bit more, just, you know, managers and empathy and why that's so important. But, um, you know, for me as a CEO of a business and a leader, I always want to create a culture of inclusion and of respect. And so we have, you know, we did have bring your kids to work day and we had a lot of kids come and, and pets and it was lovely. Um, but we also want to respect that not everyone has children for a variety of different reasons. And so how do you create something that again is not, um, that is fully inclusive, not, you know, not just you have kids, so you get to partake in this or you have pets, but how is it really more of a community environment um, and tied to our values and tied to mutual understanding and respect of each other? Yeah. Well, I really like the way you put that as rather than saying, well, this is a, an issue of recognizing and treating women differently. It's really about seeing all employees as individuals, because I, I think there's, it gets into a very, very siloed kind of approach when we're not really looking at everyone and their individual needs. Um, it becomes a very gender specific issue. Um, which isn't necessarily a, a good way to solve the problem. Well, I mean, that's why the problem's not being solved. And, and I understand, I mean, when you're running a huge business and while your employees are big drivers, business success, you're really looking at the external influences, your customers and your product and your product innovation and how you're, how you're able to be competitive in that space. Um, so the amount of, time and money that you spend internally on employees and their well-being, you know, outside of salary and benefits, um, health benefits, um, is, is vastly smaller than what you spend on marketing and customer acquisition and sales and all that. Right. 
And right. so one, we don't have the money, we don't have really the resources. Um, and so the easy way, the default, it's easy to say, okay, how, what are the big swap, you know, big categories we can look at and how do we solve for that? But that's why diversity doesn't work because you're still just scratching the surface, right? You're not doing a deep dive. You're not really understanding the employees. And I think you're just not fully listening to employees either. Um, when I think so much about who's in the position to set these policies to create change um, within organizations, it is likely someone who has made it past the systemic barriers that are keeping um, women and minorities back within the workplace. And, and I count myself as one of those. You know, I'm a leader of a business. I've been able to overcome a lot of the barriers um, that others face and that are holding them back. And so for me, it's always important um, that it's not just me driving the solutions. It should never just be me. It should be about I'm talking to everyone within my company um, who are diverse and intentionally we've wanted to you know, create a, a company that's full of different ideas and different perspectives and different experiences. I'm talking to women in our community and I'm talking to women who aren't in our community um, and, and likely because of socioeconomic or because of other hardships to fully understand what is it like to be a woman at work and through that understanding, what are the ways that we can craft solutions that are um, better serving our community and, and better serving the companies that we work with? Hmm. Well, you, you're playing a big role in the culture at Elevate. How would you describe it? Um, how, would you, how, have you, how have you been able to nurture the culture? It's, it's not easy. I mean, it's really not easy um, because, you know, and you say that and I'm in a conference room right now that is uh, all windows. And so I'm looking out at my team and I just have a big smile on my face because we have a great team um, and I'm so proud of it and I'm so proud of them and what they've done. And I would say that you nurture culture in a variety of ways. I and mean, when we talk about values, you have to have some sort of guiding principle. Two, it's hiring great people. You know, really being intentional about your hiring. And, and we tend to default to hire people that are like us. Um, it's called this mini-me syndrome where oftentimes you say, okay, you know, I've been successful, so let me hire people like me who I feel comfortable with and I know how they operate and they'll be successful too. But that's the challenge because it's a whole company of people just like me then how disruptive are we going to be and how much are we really going to be pushing ourselves forward? So it's hiring, it's values, but it's being very intentional about your culture and engaging your workforce in that culture all the time. We, we visit our values and we validate it. Are these still true? How are we upholding these values? We tie our quarterly goals to our values um, you know, if it's meet the right people, then how are we upholding that? How are we helping our community do that? Um, and, and we'll be, to be clear, I mean, we're a for-profit business, so it's also, you know, there's a revenue generation aspect of it, but I believe that you can do both, which is do good for your employees, do good for the world, and make money and have a viable business at the same time. Um, there's a great book called The Culture Code that we read, and we had all, all of our team leads read. Um, so it's an aspect of, you know, being intentional, 
engaging everyone within that culture discussion, knowing that as a business leader, um, you're not always going to hear what you want to hear. You'd love to go out there and be like, are we living our values? And everyone's like, yes, we are. Woohoo. Um, but chances are that's not the case. And, you know, there's, but that's the opportunity to do better is to have those tough conversations and to give a, a safe space for them to be had. Um, and lastly, I would say our business has grown and it continues to grow in terms of our headcount and personnel. So you have to be always, is rethinking about what that means. Your culture when you're a team of five is very different than when you're a team of 50 and very different when you're a team of 500. And if you sure. aren't within the early stages of business growth, thinking about those things, what is our culture? How do we grow that? And that's where you start to, to see things uh, fall apart. Because now, you know, I personally am not involved in all the hiring decisions and I'm not in all the interviews and, you know, I'm not making every single one of the decisions. We have a whole structure of a business where people have different ownership. But if we have the, that, the values and we have that culture that is strong, that everyone understands and everyone believes in, you have faith that the right decisions are being made, that the right relationships are being formed, that managers are being respectful and empathetic of um, their team, and that you are creating a place that is not just a place where people want, want to work, um, but a place where they will thrive and grow and have an even greater impact on your customer. Hmm. Well, um Something, as you were saying, as you were talking, something popped into my mind about it from a book by Brené Brown, Dare to Lead, where she talks about having those difficult conversations when you're not meeting your, you're not living up to your values. And she really explores that aspect of vulnerability that it requires on the part of everyone, not just the leadership, in order to really bring those situations to light and address them. So it's it's not an easy thing to maintain but so worth it i think you'd agree from what you said yeah i i absolutely agree with that and you know there's been um there's been a lot of conversation particularly recently around um what it means to be a leader what that quote-unquote looks like and how mm -hmm. women and men lead differently and I think that, again, is this aspect of like trying to put people in buckets. I think you need to lead in a way that's authentic to you. And I think you need to lead uh, from a place of community and, you know, recognizing that your employees are your greatest asset. And the more you can do to tap into their expertise, um, to support them, to listen to them, to you know, acknowledge when you've made a mistake or you're, you're wrong to acknowledge when you don't know the answers um, is, is a powerful way to lead. And um, I'm, you know, I'm so blown away by the members of the Elevate team because of just their passion, their ideas, their innovation and creativity in driving this business. And we wouldn't be where we were, are today if it weren't for each of them and their contributions. So you know, you have to be a leader that people actually want to, to support, that people want to mm -hmm. rally behind. And, yeah. um, and that's, that's a, I think, a, an important individual distinction. It's something that you have to, to own yourself and what's true and authentic to you. Yeah, I, I was, as I was reading about some of the work that you've done in the past, I was 
a question popped into my mind about what is it that makes you want to be a leader? I mean, you've been doing this from an early age. I, I saw in an interview you talked about running for school president, volunteering for heads of clubs. And, and so this is kind of a longstanding um, way that you've approached things. And what is it about leadership that you value enough to want to do it? <laughs> yeah. Um, I love that question. Yeah, I think about this a lot because, and I do because, because that is very true. Um, I, I, the funny story, which actually was not funny at the time, but it is, I guess, now in hindsight, is um, I'm a twin, and I grew up mm. in a tiny town in New Jersey, down by Cape May, New Jersey, and um, my parents would call my twin sister Katie, Mother Teresa, and they would call me Leona Helmsley. Now, mind you, this was a long time ago, so Leona Helmsley was like more of a household name at the time. And I right. took offense to that when I was growing up because I took that to be, you're saying, am, am I mean? And like, what, what does this mean? And, um, right. and which I think is the harm of putting labels on people, especially when, you know, you, there's different interpretations of that. But, but and I remember my first day of college, I called my parents up and I'm like, everyone thinks I'm nice. Like, Screw you. But um, <laughs> as, a, as a typical you know, teenager will do. But, but so what I would say to your question, which I, I again, I, I think a lot about, and I think it's a really important question, is I, I don't know. I mean, I, at every stage growing up, I aspired to, you know, is this for me personally, um, I aspired to be in a leadership position. I wasn't afraid of it. You know, I wasn't afraid of taking on the extra work or taking on that responsibility. And the motivation um, then and now isn't greatness or title or ego. It was to do more, to have a greater impact. Um, and to me, that's always been really important um, because I see the opportunities and I'm always thinking, how can I do this better? Um, one example was when I was at Villanova, we uh, host a Special Olympics, our fall festival. It's the only all-student-run Special Olympics in the world, at least it was at the time. Mm. And so wow. we spent a year as students creating this whole big event. And I was in charge of our uh, volunteers. And I took it really seriously. And I was thinking about how do we train our volunteers? How do we recruit them? What is the organization and the structure? Um, you know, what, what roles do we want them to have? How, how do they have the greatest impact? Scheduling, all this stuff. And of course, this was before um, the internet was really prevalent. So there's a lot of heavy lifting that went into that. But I created a binder, you know, the whole time I'm doing this, I create this big binder with all my information and, uh, and everything. And I did it because for me, it was, and, and the reason I applied for that specific role was, I think that there's a huge opportunity here for us to have a greater impact, the more people within our community we get involved in this program, the more, uh, you know, the better the process is for having volunteers and what that looks like. And I want to make sure that whatever I figure out, the good and the bad, is documented so the next person who takes on this role starts from that place and can go even farther. And mm -hmm. um, so I think that there becomes this aspect of what role what role we, we want to play, um, what impact we want to have, what gets us excited. You know, what, what are you excited about? What gets you excited at work? Is it solving problems 
Is it being a leader? Is it some other role? And that I think is an important question to ask because, you know, I've seen it even within the places where I've worked, which we were conditioned to believe that we all should be striving for that top position. And that is unfair and it's incorrect. Mm -hmm. Success can be found in any number of ways. It could be an individual contributor on a team. It could be a you know, solo practitioner and you know, entrepreneur. It could be leading a small company, a big company. It could be anything in between there. But if we define success as only being that person that's at the top of the pyramid, then that by definition is saying that anyone who's not at the top is not successful. And I, I categorically think that is wrong. I think that mm-hmm. we individuals have to decide and understand, you know, what does success look like for us? Where are we doing our best work? Where are we most challenged and fulfilled? And what does that look like within the organization that you're currently a part of? Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. I think there's, there's a kind of inherent pressure to become the leader, even if that's not what you're called to do. And it's not always going to be the best way for people to achieve success or to even contribute and have impact in a way that is right for them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, thank you for asking yeah. that question. That was fun. Well, I'm always looking for, uh, for different ways to, to get at that topic of leadership because um, it's one that, I mean, this podcast, I must exclusively talk with leaders. And so what is it about those of us who are, are called to that, that, that makes it valuable and important and, and worth the visibility and the, the, uh, the effort that's involved. So, yeah. Well, you've worked in and founded a series of online businesses. And what's it about that, that forum that works so well for you? Um, I mean, I, so I started, uh, which is a funny story, and I tell this because I think it's important, which is um, I was an English and sociology double major in school, uh, only because, like, my mom was a nurse, my dad was a dentist. They never once said, like, you should get a business degree or you should do that. It was just do what you love, Um, which I'm very fortunate that I had that opportunity because I absolutely loved being an English and sociology major, and I think it gave me such great writing and thinking and research abilities that I still tap into today. But I start with that because I, I went from there into investment banking, um, and particularly because I could research and write, um, which was helpful and, and skills that they weren't always getting from the business school. Um, right. and not, I, not, I know not an obvious segue. Yeah. Not an obvious segue from exactly. an English and sociology degree. No. Um, and I also want because I've recently gone back to speak to an old professor of mine at school and she had said that the enrollment within the school was going down because there's such a focus on, and particularly due to the cost of education, there's such a focus on, um, on having majors that will lead you to the higher paid, paying careers, which again, if we mm-hmm. are talking about diversity and diversity of thinking, if everyone is the same major, the same classes, the same way of thinking and solving problems, then um, you know, that is that truly disruptive. So anyway, that is my little like side note about, you know, go liberal arts. But um, I started investment <laughs> banking. I didn't like it. Um, it was 
really hard to create change. It was just, it was very stifling structure. It was, there was lots of, uh, <laughs> I almost say it was abusive, but it was, um, you know, not a, a super positive place to work all the time. Um, mm-hmm. And not a nurturing just, environment. No, no, not really. Um, but, you know, I mean, which is fine if you're okay with that, but I, it just wasn't where I wanted to be. And, um, and that's an important part of the career process and career journey is always just ask yourself those questions. Like, why don't I like this? What does it, you know, what, what I like, what does that look like? But, um, I'd had a friend who was working for a startup and this is back in 99, 2000. So, you know, the big dot um, com boom. And she said, you come work at this startup and I love it. And it's awesome. And, uh, there's a sales role available. And I was like, absolutely not. That is not, I'm not a salesperson. I don't want to do it. And she said, please, please, please. So I went and I interviewed and I got a job. Um, in hindsight, highly recommend sales careers. Even if that, that is not your long-term goal, you learn some really powerful skills around how to best present yourself, to talk about your product and to business, to really understand a customer. Um, there's a lot of great stuff that you do. So I worked, uh, for that startup called vault.com for nine years um, and worked my way up throughout the organization uh, during very turbulent times. When I started, uh, people were still putting a lot of money into startups. Quickly, we had the dot-com burst. Um, so the company laid off employees because we, um, we, you know, we weren't generating profit at the time as many companies were. We laid off employees and we really had to focus the business on, okay, like what's going to drive revenue and how do we own this space? What is our competitive advantage? So we grew the business. Um, I was head of our North American revenue operations when we sold the business to a private equity firm. So that was a great learning experience um, to be a part of that. Mm. And post exit, I was asked to lead our global expansion, uh, which again, great learning opportunity. You know, how do we take our, um, you know, our product, which was focused on uh, careers within the U.S. and employee reviews and information, um, and how does that translate into other markets where the hiring process is different, the companies are different, the values might be different. Um, so did that, and then I joined the founding team of a company called Seal.com in the health and wellness space, um, which is great. I've learned that probably starting day one of a company might not be my most uh, where I'm most passionate. Uh, there's there's like so much change. Like every day it's something different. You're like, no, like, yes, go down this path. And then it's like, no, it's that path. And then no. Um, but it was great to, to learn that about myself. Um, excellent company. Uh, really gained some powerful experience about pivoting and listening to some of your key stakeholders. Uh, and, um, so we just check out Zeal. It's still around, uh, in-home massage on demand. It's a great company. And, uh, we stayed there for about three years. And then, you know, like many of us do just kind of, it's like, I love the people I work with, but you know, this isn't my passion. I want to do something else. I want to have a greater impact. Um, all along the way, it had really been about building communities. When I was at Vault, we looked at, you know, how are we using user-generated content and information to help future job seekers. So it's kind of similar to what Glassdoor is today. Um, we were doing that back in the mid to late 90s and really thinking about the, how the community provides powerful information and support for others when we were at Zeal. 
is really looking at this fragmented community of health and wellness practitioners and customers and how you create um, deeper connections there and ease of, of making those connections. And then uh, when I thought about what I wanted to do next, clearly I'm very passionate about women and girls and education and had sit on a number of boards and other initiatives around that and happened um, to, to meet Sally Krawcheck, uh, who's the owner of Elevate, and uh, she asked me to come in on the business day to day. So uh, I've been here for five years. I love it every minute of what I do, uh, really seeing them having an impact. But for me, it goes beyond the impact, and it goes into how are we really creating that impact? How are we being disruptive? How are we taking a traditional professional network, which again, was you know back in the day rooted in smaller communities around a specific location around a specific industry how are we taking that and moving it into a digital age how are we looking at the whole trajectory of these in-person connections we make to the digital connections how are we going deeper with how we can really drive impact and support by ongoing touch points within those connections how are we ensuring that you're meeting the people that are most helpful to you in that moment um, and how are we, you know, seeing that end impact, which we do. So it's um, been an exciting career journey and kind of being at companies at a variety of different stages and um, sizes. And I think that's part of what um, you know, has got me here today is to just have that diversity of experience. Yeah, and really varied, I mean, in your own experience. Well, Elevate itself is a certified B Corp. And I wonder what aspect of the B Corp certification, and there are many aspects, but which aspect was easiest and which one was most challenging? Because every company has those areas where it's just already in place, you just fill out the form and other areas, things have to be developed in order to certify. So can you talk a little bit about that, what that experience has been for Elevate? I would love to. Uh, yes, yeah, so we're a certified B Corp and a certified woman-owned business. And with the B Corp, um, so there's, and I may be misstating this slightly, but there's a number of different, you know, tenants that it's built around. Are you good for the environment? Are you good for your employees? Are you good for local communities? Are you good for you know, society as a whole? Um, and you go through an assessment and the assessment is long, um, but it's powerful. It was one of the most powerful things I've done as a business leader because it really is asking you to, on a micro level, look at your company and look at many any aspects of your company, but then to see from a macro level um, how that all rolls up into you know how how your business is doing and how that compares to other sort of like-minded values-driven businesses. Um, so it was a great exercise for me to to really see my business through a framework that someone else had defined. Um, and that I could really validate what we were doing and where we had opportunities for improvement. And we have every year, every time we do the assessment um, and ongoing through inclusivity challenges and whatnot, we're always improving um, because there's always places where mm -hmm. we can do better. And I love that. Sure. So for us, you know, one example that was really hard was environmental. Um, we, mm -hmm. 
are based in New York City. Our employees all take mass transit or city bikes. We offer city bike membership for employees. Um, we sublet, you know, so we don't really have a lot of control over the building, you know, carbon output or, or electricity or whatnot. Um, we we have already started from a place where we don't have a lot of paper, or a lot of waste. Um, so that was kind of, you know, wasn't sure how we could best measure that and how we can best create change. But we continue to, to do so and to, you know, how do we not use paper towels in the office and use hand towels or how do we, um, you know, really advocate for not using single-use plastic. And so there's ongoing ways in which you can have an impact, even if they're these little micro um, movements, but micro movements add up to big macro change. Yeah, uh, absolutely. One area where I thought we would be strong, and we were strong, is, is around our employees and how we're good for our employees. Um, because that was always an important part of building that culture. But you see there's even so much more that we could do around financial education. We did a 401k match, or we created volunteer days as a, as a time off category so our employees can volunteer and give back to the community. There's all these things that we're able to implement, um, which again, they're all small micro uh, decisions, but lead to a bigger impact and a bigger change and a bigger culture um, solidification. So it was a, it was a great process. Um, we are really proud to be a B Corp. We love being part of that community. Um, it's been really supportive. Uh, there's a, mm -hmm. a number of B Corp women CEOs that work together very closely on. Um, you know, building peer support and business development, on um, advocacy, on DNI, on um, environmental access to capital. So seeing how we work together to create even greater change has been a really powerful uh, experience for me. But I would say mm -hmm. my my one ending comment here is that I have talked to so many business leaders who will say, okay, yeah, we've looked into it or we'll one day become a B Corp or some, someday that, that, that'll be, you know, we don't have the time, we don't have the money, we don't have the energy, whatever that is. And I get that, right? I get when you're building businesses, there always seems to be other things that are of greater importance or priority. But at the core, what I've seen is businesses that um, put the time in to create create that framework, to create that structure, to uh, identify your values and your priorities. Um, if that's maternity leave programs, put it in before someone's pregnant and you suddenly are scrambling to tell them what that program is. If it's right. mental impact, if it's something else, the, the B Corp assessment is a great way to create that framework to understand some of those really important questions you need to ask yourself, to have it documented, mm -hmm. to share with your employees, uh, and to, from day one, ensure that that foundation of your business is strong um, and powerful and, you know, going in the right direction that, that you can identify what's important to you. So, um, yeah, I recommend I mean, people check it out. I'm going through the B Corp certification process myself, and it's very, it really speaks to what you were saying earlier about micro changes, and it, it's a very reflective process about what are you putting in place for your business? What is in place? What still needs to be put in place? And it's, uh, it, can be, it can be a really powerful guide. 
for, for moving forward, for sure. Well, one of the things that uh, I guess the, the last thing I wanted to ask you about before the rapid round is you're an angel investor and women aren't as active in the investment world, especially angel investing. And wonder what led you into that realm and, and what guides your investment decisions? Yes, I, uh, I am an investor. I would highly encourage those that have the financial means and inclination to do so, um, to consider investing, particularly in women and non-binary femme. Um, because I, I did it because one, I, I wanted to change the status quo and I feel like I can start with myself, right? Um, mm-hmm. Start with yourself first and try and build a movement. Um, two, because I believe women are a, uh, the right investment, are a great investment to make. I'm, and I like the angel investing stage because given my background, it gives me an opportunity to you know, impart some wisdom or some advice um, as an advisor, just as an investor who's, who's here to take calls if you need her to, um, and to, to feel like I'm having an impact beyond just the dollars. But, um, you know, I would say, so I started being an angel investor through a program called Pipeline Angels. It is a great program. Natalia is the founder and she is a really powerful voice in this movement. Um, there's some other angel investing programs as well, like 37 Angels um, and, and, and Golden Seeds that provide an educational element. So what we did is we first went through as a cohort of investors, we um, spoke to a number of other angel investors and VCs um, learned about how they make their decisions, what they look for in companies within the pitch process. We had um, some education around due diligence and spreadsheets and, um, you know, uh, financials and all of that. And that was great. I mean, even though I had been through uh, fundraising processes on the other end of it as the, as a startup, it was great to be part of it up this end and and to see that perspective. Uh, We had a pitch competition. So, Women and non-binary femme uh, social enterprises came and pitched our group. We picked, you know, who we wanted to go into due diligence with. We did that as a cohort and then ultimately made an investment. Um, the initial investment is small. It's $5,000 per person. Um, so I, I know that relatively speaking is, is not small for everybody. But if you do have that money and you're thinking about investing, um, it can be uh, I think oftentimes less than what you think that initial investment might be. So some people I think went in thinking mm-hmm. it was 50 or hundred thousand or something much less. Mm-hmm. Um, attainable. Um, and, and why I go through this process and why I thought it was important for me is there's so many things in our, in our world and in our lives that we aspire to do. It's like, yes, I want to run a marathon or yes, I want to start investing or, you know, yes, I want to climb up to Pichu or whatever it is. But there's a lot of work to get there. And so when there's a lot of work and when you're uncertain about what that pathway looks like, you oftentimes will keep putting it off and you won't get it done. And I liked this program because they held your hand through it and you were obligated to make an investment at the end. And so by doing it the first time, you suddenly are like, okay, I've done it and I'm still here to talk about it. So let's do it again. (laughs) Now I have confidence and I know I know what I'm doing. Uh, so that was great. We invested in a company called Wethos, which is a fantastic platform uh, for nonprofits to tap into uh, design and creative talent. And uh, then I also invested through Portfolio, which is a, another really um, fantastic organization. Trish Costello is the founder. And yeah. I specifically invested I know about that organization. In, yeah, uh, they're, they're great. Yeah. I would 
highly recommend checking it out. I invested in their FunTech fund. Um, specifically, it's looking at um, how we're creating technology um, in healthcare for women. And um, I love that because I think it's a space that has been underserved for quite a long time. It's a space that we've not seen the innovation because uh, traditionally they're male-founded startups that are getting the money um, and they're you know, not specifically solving problems for women that we face every day. And um, so it was really important to me to put my money behind things that I'm passionate about. And that's a great fund. But long story short, there's a, there's a million avenues to tap into if you want to invest. And I think it's a great way to really support uh, this ecosystem of innovation that we're seeing um, continue to rise and particularly being driven by women. Um, you know, I wanna say there was 11 million businesses started by women since like 2016. And, but most of them um, aren't receiving funding. 2% of VC funding goes to women-founded businesses and 0.2%. Yeah, it's a chronic problem. Women of color. So let's change it. You want to see change? Let's do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's a chronic problem of, of women entrepreneurs uh, having difficulty finding financing. And I'm, I was surprised to hear that the entry point is as low I mean, as you said, not low for everyone, but is is not as high as I expected. And um, so I think that's encouraging for people to hear that there, there's an opportunity there. Well, Christy, I always wrap up these interviews with a rapid round of three questions about impact. Are you are you ready? I'm ready. All right. First one is, what's the biggest thing you've learned about having impact? It has to come from your heart. It's got to be something that you personally care about. And when you that passion is there, the um, scale of impact will only be greater. Great. Well, the second question is, what's the one thing you've consistently done that's contributed to your success and impact the most? I've consistently pushed myself to think bigger. And there's this concept of like moonshot thinking, which is, you know, if you say have a gas tank that can hold 20 gallons of gas and someone were to come to you and say, well, we want something that will hold 25 gallons of gas, then the solutions are relatively easy or minor, right? You may make it a little bit bigger. You may change the, you know, the, some of the configurations, but if someone says, I want you to build a gas tank that can hold 200 gallons of gas, but can still fit in this car, then you have to completely rethink what that gas tank looks like, how it operates and, you know, what, how, how the whole structure works. Um, mm-hmm. And so for me, it's really about how do we not just make the obvious next steps, um, which sure it, you can do, but it's how do we completely break this down and rebuild it in a new and innovative way. And to me, that's where you're going to have the greatest impact. And when you're doing that um, around mission and values, around things you care about, then you're, you know, as you as I said, the first question, it comes from the heart, then having that more disruptive, greater impact is going to be even more um, of, a, of a transformational experience for you and for, you know, the recipient. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the last question is, what's one piece of advice you'd give another a leader that's thinking about impact and wants to have more of it? What would you say to them? You can have impact and make money. Um, they are not... <laughs> Uh, it's not one or the other. And I think that that is important 
to recognize. Um, we're seeing it more and more in businesses, businesses that are really looking at um, their footprint. If it's, um, you know, I think Pepsi just made some announcements about their environmental impact. Um, you know, we're seeing companies maybe like Levi's or, or Nike who are taking a social impact stand. Whatever it is, you can be a leader of a successful business and have impact. And impact is defined in many different ways. Um, you know, if it's societal, if it's for your employees, if it's for your environment or your local communities or underserved populations. So I would encourage you um, to make that an active KPI and an active goal with which you measure your success. Because um, it's not just about the profits, but it's about the people and the world in which we live. Mm. Absolutely. Well, Christy, thank you so much for joining us today. I've so enjoyed hearing about the development of your own career and how you have really used these opportunities to have more and more impact. So thank you for sharing all of that with us today. Thank you, Ursula. It's just an absolute pleasure to chat with you today. And just, I really appreciate the work that you're doing. Well, thank you. It was a pleasure for me, too. If people want to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to get in touch? Check us out at elevatenetwork.com. Um, I'm also on Twitter and uh, Instagram. It's Christy A. Wallace, or you can follow Elevate Network on Twitter and Instagram. It's ElevateNTWK, and we'd love to hear from you. Great. Well, Christy, thanks for the work you're doing in the world. Thank you, and uh, have a great day. This was so much fun. Great. Glad you enjoyed it. Join us for more episodes. Subscribe to the Work Alchemy podcast on iTunes or Stitcher Radio so you'll know as soon as new episodes are available. You can even help spread the word. Leave a review if you like what you've heard. Thanks for listening. Until next time, for ongoing support so you can have your own impact, Join our community of entrepreneurs like you by liking the Work Alchemy Facebook page.